My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Steve Iacovelli. He is a doctor of education. He is the founder and president of Top Dog Learning Group. Um, he is an author. He's written three books. He a um, uh, public speaker, keynote speaker, and uh, you're a resident of Central Florida. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I wanted to kind of dive into maybe some of your background. Yeah. Are you a native Floridian? I am not, but I feel like I am. I've, I've actually lived in Orlando three times. Um, the first, I'm, I'm originally from the Philadelphia area, but uh, I always wanted to work for Mickey. So after undergrad, packed up my little car, drove down here, didn't have a job, but I'm like, I'm going to work for Mickey. And so that, I, I did. I worked for the, the Central Reservations office the, you know, at the time, 407W Disney. This is pre-internet for those listening. Um, it, it, I lasted six months. It was a horrible, it was a great experience, but it was not a good fit job. So had some things happen in life, almost died in a car accident, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know what? The universe is telling me I'm not supposed to be in Central Florida. So I left, went back up to Philly with mom and dad. Um, and then uh, oddly got a job offer about a year later in Orlando, Florida, right in downtown with a software company. And, and I just took the job interview because I wanted a free ride to come see my friends down here. And the job was too cool. So I came down. Um, it was a fantastic company. It's when I first got into the whole concept of teaching adult stuff. And then the company got bought. I was like, oh, I think I'm going to grad school, moved up to Ohio, went to Ohio State, go Bucks. And then uh, two years after that, was looking for a job. And oddly enough, the best offer was in Orlando, Florida. So all my friends kept calling me Boomerang. They're like, we throw you away, you come back. And that, I'm so glad that worked out because I moved on a Monday. And that Friday, uh, I met my what's now my husband of 23 years, Richard. So I'm like, that was God, Universe, Buddha, Allah telling me, you know, dude, you're not done with Central Florida. Nice. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about uh, the Top Dog Learning Group and um, the gay leadership dude title <laughs> that you carry. Yeah, so uh, we'll start with Top Dog. So Top Dog Learning Group, um, I like to think of our doghouse as sitting in the center of three kind of different but very complementary areas. We play around with understanding uh, leadership and organizational development. We focus on uh, diversity inclusion and creating a sense of belonging for those in the workplace. And then we look at change management and being resilient in times of change. And, and we play in, in one of those areas, if not all three, um, doing things like formal training, both um, in real time when we can do such things as well as virtual. Uh, we do group and single coaching. Uh, we have a bunch of off the shelf stuff. I personally do a lot of keynotes and, and my books and stuff around there. And then some kind of some straight up uh, coaching and, and things of that nature. And we primarily work with uh, larger organizations, large Fortune 500s, um, mostly none here in Central Florida. It's all remote. Uh, large not-for-profits like the Gates Foundation, Public Library Association, and just some really cool folks um, over the years.
years. And, and so uh, I've been doing this work um, with Top Dog since we started actually part-time in 2002, uh, but then took it as my full-time gig in 2008, which was also a really awesome time to start a business, but you know, there's that. Um, it, it got us ready for COVID, I guess you might say. And then, uh, and so it's me, um, I have um, uh, an assistant and then I have, and I call my army of awesomeness, my top doggers, my consultants who kind of ebb and flow and go with the, the, the projects that we have out there. And then yes, uh, I gave myself the title of the gay leadership dude, circle R, it's trademark, no one else can use it. Um, so uh, that's kind of my personal brand, if you will, that goes along with, with my book and a lot of the keynotes and, and things of that nature. And uh, your book, Pride Leadership, uh, and I think there's more to the title. <laughs> yes, there is. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, Pride Leadership Strategies for the LGBTQ Plus Leader to be the king or queen of their jungle. Um, it actually was, it started as a concept many, many, many years ago. I mean, like I've been doing this leadership stuff for 25 plus years, and you, you see um, leaders who are really good at leadership and you see ones that are really bad at leadership and I just, you know, kind of pick up and watch and observe. And then, um, it was in 2018, I was at a conference and I'm kind of in between sessions. I'm sorting little business cards. You know, you, you pick up along the way at these conferences and a woman's doing the same thing next to me and kind of introduce ourselves. And she's like, what do you do? I'm like, you know, consulting, blah, blah, blah. How about you? She's like, I'm a publisher. I'm like, you know, there's like a leadership book in my head. She's like, well, let's get that book out of your head. I'm like, sure. So that's kind of how I started down the path of working uh, with, a, with a real publisher. I like to say my, my first two books were not quote unquote real publishers. It was my dissertation, which I just, you know, did it to get the ISBN credit, get it out there on Amazon. Um, I, I'll get a royalty check once at a blue moon. I'm like, mom, did you buy my book again? She's like, no, I don't, I never read that thing. Um, but then, um, and then I, I did the self-publishing route and I know some people have great success on it. I had a horrible experience with it. Um, it was called Overcoming Poopy E-Learning, which was my doctorate's in instructional technology and distance ed. But this was my first real book. And so Jen and her team at Publisher Purpose Press were just awesome, kind of shepherding me through. And I started outlining the leadership book and I was going down the route of a generic leadership book. And then I started looking at my peers in a, a bunch of um, you know, social justice groups, especially for the LGBTQ community here in Central Florida and beyond. And then um, there's, there's that TV show, um, Sex in the City, if you remember that, where you, she would sit at her computer and she's like, I couldn't help but wonder. And that kind of went in my head. And I'm like, I, I couldn't help but wonder, is there's something about being a queer person that gives you a different lens to leadership? And that's kind of what I started looking at observing. And that's where I came up with, with um, what are the six competencies that I focus on in Pride Leadership to really think about um, what does leadership look like through these lenses of authenticity, courage, empathy, communication, relationships, and culture, which I mean, any human who wants to be a leader can benefit from these, but then I put them through the queer lens. So what is it like to be you know, an LGBTQ plus leader when we talk about say authenticity? Well, authenticity is great for every leader, all the Brene Browns and leadership folks out there are like, oh, you're authentic, you build trust, people you know, can relate to you, yes. But now put it through the rainbow lens. What does that mean? You know, I'm a, a, a gay guy who's out at work, that's pretty authentic. If I'm a trans person who's being my authentic self in the workplace, that's pretty damn authentic. And so how can we channel that to be successful in the leadership space? That's what kind of pride leadership talks about. Well, one thing that you've said a couple of times is LGBTQ+. Yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> what, what's the plu? Uh, it's plus, but I lived in France and I just started saying plu because it sounds cooler in French yeah. <laughs> uh, and it rhymes. So, but it's plus. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. 
So what it uh, what is the plus? It's a great question. Um, so you see a lot of different ways that people identify. Uh, we'll just use the queer community or gay community in, in the general terms. And um, so you know, the LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and then Q either stands for queer or questioning. Queer is the what used to be a bad word, but now is an acceptable word. And that's what a lot of younger folks have a, a, you know, kind of taken back, if you will. You know, when people use those bad words, they're like, no, no, it's our word, we'll take it. Questioning means that I haven't figured myself out yet, you know, which where I want to go, where I want to focus my my um, affection and all that good stuff towards. So that's the Q as double meaning. Then sometimes you add the I for uh, intersex, the A could be ally or asexual. And then you get into what we call the alphabet soup. Um, so I personally, until there's one word that like, you know how the word Kodak's made up, it doesn't exist in any language, but Kodak made it up. Uh, until there's a Kodak word that we can use to describe my community, um, I just use LGBTQ and then plus to kind of be all encompassing. All right, cool. Thanks for asking. Yeah. One thing that, um, and I know this is kind of going off topic of the leadership yeah. thing, but it, it is something that I've wondered um, where, you know, people are, um, announcing their, their pronouns mm -hmm. yep. and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of different ways that people identify yep. and I don't know what they all are. And <laughs> That's fine. I don't, I don't know that, um, well, quite frankly, I, I don't want to offend anybody, you know, and, and I have quite a few friends that uh, just through my own ignorance, I would bet that I have said something that maybe if they didn't know me would offend them, you know, yeah. so um, maybe you can enlighten me. Yeah, no, so, so two things that pop out of that, Dave, and, and thank you. So the whole pronoun thing and what's happening is um, pronouns are like a name. They're very personal to each individual. And so what you've seen this movement uh, of late is people basically normalizing the use of pronouns and identifying the pronouns so people don't assume. And so just, you know, my name's Steve, and you could jump to the conclusion that, oh, he, him is how I should address him when I'm not using Steve's name. But that's not true. And if, if we're trying to create a culture of inclusion, which is why it's out there, by me throwing my, my pronouns out there, and you can see if you're watching on the video, yes, they're already in my Zoom. They're always there. They're in my um, email signature. What that does is allows people who maybe identify differently than the traditional he, him, she, her um, can, can say, no, no, I go by, by they, them. Or um, you even see some new words that are completely made up in a great way. Like uh, one is like like uh, Z Zer. It's like with a Z now because it, it's just a way to be gender neutral. And and so this is a way for people just to to identify beyond just here's my name. And but what it's also sending is you know I put it in all my stuff because I'm like hey I'm inclusive. I want somebody to be comfortable in this space and know that you know I get that people are sharing their pronouns to help it be a normal thing in the business world and beyond. And so that's why it's there. And then the other thing that, that you beautifully said is, um, you know, every ally and an ally is somebody who's not part of a group but wants to support them. You know, I, I, I'm an ally to um, the trans community. I'm an ally to uh, the women's groups. When I worked at IBM, I was actually part of the women's network. And people were like, 
you're not a woman. I'm like, yeah, but how better to support and be an awesome ally to my female coworkers than not be part of that group. And so we can be allies like that. And being an ally is also asking questions and also saying to people, you know what, I know I'm going to screw up because I'm not part of you. And I'm going to look to you to help educate me when I do that, because it's not meant of, of, of um, you know, being malicious or being mean. It's, it's out of ignorance. And I'm going to, I'm going to educate myself first and do what you can, because the other thing about any of us other groups is we get tired of educating everybody. My goodness. You know, I look at my black and brown brothers and sisters, especially over the course of the last year. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of having these same conversations over. Yes. I too am that way, especially in the months of June when everyone's like, hey, leadership dude, but I'm okay to have that. But but at times, you know, um, our, our allies should ed- try to educate themselves and then come and say, okay, I, I, I read, I read um, you know, like I've, I've read a whole bunch of um, uh, books around the black and brown experience, of course, since uh, George Floyd in the last year. So I've, I've done my work, but now black and brown brothers and sisters, this is what I need help with. Great, Steve. And then they kind of pick up where, where you left off. Have you have you heard of the Gray Challenge? No, I have not. What is so that? the the Gray Challenge is, um, I believe. Well, I know that there is a website that uh, essentially it's for for uh, white folks to educate themselves oh, on nice. the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the the history of. Yep. Uh, the struggles of African Americans in the United States, mm-hmm. and yep. uh, and through their lens. So, you know, I it's a series of movies and documentaries, and uh, it's you know, I sat down with my daughter. We watched some of them. She's fourteen years old. Um, I is there anything like that for the gay community? You know, that's that's a great question. And there really isn't. Um, well, there is, but it's actually my own products <laughs> because there really isn't stuff. Um, but there's a lot of things that you can kind of keep uh, on a, a not so formalized website like this, you know, just just being open to hearing what's happening in the month of June for Pride Month. But but also knowing that, um, you know, queer stuff doesn't happen just in the month of June. You know, there in October, there's National Coming Out Day, because one of the things that's uh, I think challenging for both the LGBTQ plus community as well as other um, hidden minorities is the fact that you're hidden. And, and so you have to disclose or choose to disclose to various people and you do that constantly. Uh, I know for me personally, you know, I'm a white cisgender and cisgender means that I identify with, with the um, gender that I was uh, told I was at birth. So I'm, I'm a white cisgendered uh, and it's the opposite of transgender, which is, you know, I, I and do not identify with the uh, uh, gender I was assigned at birth. Um, but I'm a white cisgendered gay dude and, and do emphasize on the dude. And so there's a bit of advantage that I have in that world, but then there's also some disadvantage I have in that world, especially when you throw the gay thing out there. And, and so um, I am constantly having to come out as a white cisgender gay dude to every client, everyone I meet, and, and choosing to do that or not. Now, by me using my self-imposed title, the gay leadership dude, it's pretty damn obvious uh, kind of how I identify. Um, you know, but, um, but, but for everyone, that's not the case. And so one of the things that we constantly do is, is look at how we share who we are in our authentic selves. And that's actually why, you know, when I go back to the six competencies I, I talk about in pride leadership, you know, courage, 
you know, that takes some courage that, you know, I'm sitting in front of a, a group of 5,000 people doing a keynote and I have the option if they don't use the Gay Leadership 2 title to say, oh yeah, me and my husband are 23 years, dot, dot, dot. Um, or uh, I'm, I'm meeting a client for the first time under Top Dog Learning Group. They don't know about my book or anything else. And I have to choose to say to this client with the option that maybe they don't like me and my kind, quote unquote, bunny ears, and we'll pull the business um, or the potential business because you know they're not inclusive. So it's, it's a thing that we have to do. Um, and, but I think in that case, it does build some competencies that do benefit from the leadership space. And, and so um, that's kind of, I guess, the, the roundabout way of answering that question, if you will. Being in Central Florida, uh, you know, that's where I am. And um, I've spent 23 years in the fire service. Um, I know a handful uh, of queer firefighters, uh, both men and women. Um, I've heard of a couple of trans firefighters, mm -hmm. but it's not something that I, I know, you know, I don't know who they are, Yep. I, uh, but I, I'm curious because I'm very certain that it is a lot more difficult for a gay man to come out in the fire service or law enforcement than it is for a woman. It seems like there's uh, many more women that are out in, in the fire service and law enforcement rather than uh, than men. Mm -hmm. And I just wondering if you know of individuals that struggle with that and maybe some that have overcome uh, that that stigma or you know just said screw it, I don't care who knows. Sure. You know, um, but you know, is there can can you talk on that? Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't have formal data, but I have a gut reaction to it or gut thought, if you will, having you know been um, somebody who goes into organizations and I'm kind of like a, a like an organizational anthropologist. Um, you know, I'm like I'm like the gay Jane Goodall, you know, going through the monkeys and stuff. But um, thinking about uh, uh, you know those types of workplace cultures tend to, if you have to classify them, and and side note. Um, gender is a, a a Western European construct. Where, you know the, the the two genders uh, in Native American culture there were seven seven genders, and, and so you know that's when uh, folks came over to the New World, quote unquote. Um, they brought that duality of uh, culture or of gender with them. So, um, but that being said, um, when I think about certain workplaces and certain professions, and I don't want to stereotype and, and kind of you know grossly label, but you do see some like the paramilitary type things, like fire uh, first responder type things, tend to be a bit more masculine in their world. You know uh, that there's that whole machismo con uh, concept in in Latinx cultures and things. But with, when you have that kind of the cultural expectations, and again I'm doing my bunny ears for those who can't see me, that might mean that for um, more masculine women, they're more accepted because they're more in line with the organizational culture. Where if I'm uh, a more masculine man, but who's gay, I may not want to share my authenticity because I'm quote unquote passing within the work within that particular workplace context. Or if I'm a more feminine man in that more masculine 
uh, workplace context, then I might try to adjust my own true authenticity uh, in order to better fit in. And so I, I, I just as just my gut kind of talking as you know, like I, as of this year, I've been, uh, I've, I, I came out at 24. So I went through my whole undergrad experience, you know, fraternity boy, dating girls, blah, 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 and figured my authentic self out after the fact. So I'm now in the point of where I, I just turned 50 last year. So I'm, I've more led a gay life than a straight life. So, so that's kind of what you're hearing this experience based upon is the 25 plus years of, um, 26 years, I guess, of, of seeing uh, and also experiencing this through through my lens, that, that would be my guess within a workplace like the fire service. What are some of the challenges and and uh, maybe pitfalls of coming out in in a paramilitary organization? I think it's it's the same with all workplaces. I mean, you know, studies show, and the latest study data I have, and I actually cited in my book, Pride Leadership, is from 2018. I don't think it's been updated since, but the Human Rights Campaign does a study every year about people being out at work in the U.S. And it's still hovering around 50% of LGBTQ people are not out at work. Now, think about that. Half, half of people in my community don't feel comfortable enough saying and being out in the workplace. And that's little things like, you know, when we could go to offices, putting the picture of my significant other on my desk or Monday morning conversations, even on Zoom or whatever, you know, people, what did you do this weekend, Steve? Oh, well, um, you know, and I start to, to adjust things or play with pronouns or, or just forget the conversation altogether. 50%. Why? Because that's speaking to workplace culture. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but it is completely and utterly legal in most states to fire somebody because they're gay, period. Now, put an asterisk on that, not really anymore. Um, there was this, this Supreme Court ruling last summer where it identified that um, under the 1960s Title IX, where it was under gender, uh, and you can't discriminate based upon gender in the workplace, they have decided that there are certain, um, that, that LGBTQ plus um, do fall under that. Now, there's some back and forth with if that will stick. Um, and so you have something that's called the Equality Act, which will make it a solid, um, no, 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 you can't fire somebody just for being queer. Um, because prior to last summer, you could. That was completely legal. And so now it's there, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's like a band-aid. And, and who knows what could overturn that quite quickly. But like, that's kind of crappy. I mean, I have been fired from jobs before. And because Florida, where we sit, is a right to work state, they can say, Steve, you just don't fit in. That's the only explanation they have to say. And prior to last summer, if it was because you have a husband, mm, yeah, well, no, that's not how we jam. And so that could be, be legal. Um, so that's changing, but that's why a lot of people are still in the closet is there's still that culture out there. There's still that, that mentality that, you know, we don't want to accept your kind, bunny ears quotes again. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest reasons why, I mean, some of it goes back to Maslow's hierarchy needs and safety. You know, I, I, I may not feel safe in my workplace, whether that be physical or mental, to put myself out there to say, oh, here's what my authentic self is. And that's why when I talk uh, in my book, Pride Leadership, about what these six competencies look like, you know, they are not silos. They are so intertwined because if I'm going to be authentic at work, that takes courage. That takes fostering a series of relationships within my workplace. That shows having empathy both for myself as well as for, for those around me. 
And, and so these six aren't an accident and they are absolutely beautifully connected for leadership success. On the bottom there in the, in the purple yep. field, culture, in, in your, in your teaching and your consulting, do you address, uh, address culture change in order to make the culture more inclusive? Yeah, it's a great question. I literally just taught this today in one of my classes. So I have a, a whole eight week online program that goes along with, with what I talk about in my book. And today's topic happened to be shaping culture because yeah, it, it's something that every leader within the workplace. And, and by the way, if you're listening to this, um, whether you have direct reports or you're an individual contributor, you're a leader because leadership is influence. And so when people are like, oh, I don't have direct report shenanigans, you're a leader. So every leader, which means everyone listening, has the opportunity to create and shape workplace and organizational culture. Now, how you do that, there's a bunch of strategies. You know, um, you, know you can go to some like really good theories, like group to, there's groups like ProSci, Professional Science, or they used to be called. They have like a whole methodology that you can follow. Um, you know, but it takes things like communication strategy, training strategy, um, executive sponsorship and influencing from that top. Uh, um, you know, getting the people kind of more in that middle and bottom also on board with the change. We all have that opportunity, but there's a couple things to consider. One, is it going to work? Um, and two, in tandem with that same question, do you have the energy and the fortitude and, um, you know, as we say here in the South, the gumption um, to do that? Um, and some workplaces, yeah, you know, it's a fight. In other ones, it may or may not be worth your effort. And that's why I say, you know, have a conversation with yourself. If that workplace culture is, is just way too ingrained, you have the options to say, you know what, this is my fight, or you know what, it's not worth my time. See you, pick up your toys and go somewhere else. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the, the communication section then? Yeah, so, you know, if you look at any leadership, you know, here's how you be an effective leader kind of conversation, they always talk about communication and, and, and what does that look like? And the way I think about it is, uh, you know, communication as a leader starts with listening. And, and I think there's way too many um, leadership conversations out there that don't put enough emphasis on the concept of listening. And Stephen Covey um, has, a, has a, a quote, he says, we often listen to respond versus listen to understand. And, and I think that's true. Um, you know, uh, my mom, and I know it's, she's, she's not original to it, but she always said, you know, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, Stephen Russell, that's my full name when she's mad at me, um, but it's true. So, uh, you know, we don't listen enough. Uh, and as a leader, that's one of your like secret weapons when it comes to effective communication. You ask the right questions and not the yes, no ones, but the open-ended ones. You, you use some paraphrasing statements like, so Dave, what I hear you saying is this, 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 and the person can say, no, that's not what I said. Oh, okay, cool. You know, then correct me. And then you listen. And that's so powerful as leaders. And so that's one of the, the big conversation points I talk about in the communications um, chapter of my book in the classes. The other is um, inclusive communication. And that's, um, it, it's everything from thinking about the words that you pick. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty big on social media and I try to put things that help people out there. And so yesterday, I, or the other day, I posted something about like, when you're talking about people with differing abilities, like don't say handicapped person, because that puts their handicap first, they're people. So it's a person with you know, a disability or better said, a person with differing abilities. Is, is that Steve being the HR police? No, that's Steve being respectful that one of my best friends who lives 
three doors this way, which I'm pointing out my house, she's in a wheelchair. She has MS. She's been in a wheelchair for the last 20 years. And I know that she's a person who happens to use a chair. And, and so it's little things like that that really can go far to create a more inclusive space for others. Um, and it's also not engaging in things like silent collusion, where someone says like a really crappy remark um, and, and you don't say anything to refute it. And so that's one thing that I've seen, even the most well-intended leaders totally undermine their authority and credibility because they don't step up and stand up for the person being disparaged or the group of people being disparaged. And, and that can just completely undermine your own effectiveness and AKA trust as a leader. You know, one of the things that, that I talk a lot about on, on the podcast here is you know, our experiences where we've met some, some type of, uh, I don't know, misfortune, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, a, a growing opportunity. <laughs> hey, uh, we used to say to Disney, area of opportunity versus like, oh, yeah. it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in your world, in, uh, in your career, um, in your lifetime, I, I'm sure you've you've met your own uh, obstacles and pitfalls, and uh, it's it's helped shape who you are and sure. your leadership philosophy. So, I, I was wondering if you've got um, something that kind of comes to your mind that uh, you know that maybe served as a lesson to you that really helped you develop. Uh, two things come to mind. Um, the first is uh, when I got um, gay bashed, that was pretty awesome. Um, you know, and, and things happen and I get it. And, and that sucked. Um, fractured skull, yeah, cool stuff. But what did that teach me? That taught me empathy for other other people, you know, black and brown brothers and sisters, my, my you know, female friends and, and male friends who have been sexually assaulted. That gave me empathy to understand that victimization and not fall prey to that victimization, but learn from it. So, so I think that's one of the first things. Um, if you look closely, I still have the scar. It's right somewhere right around here. Um, but there's that. And then the other thing is, um, you know, I, I've been, um, you know, the correct HR term is separated from organizations, meaning fire. <laughs> and, um, so, and I forget how many times, a lot of them were like instances that had nothing to do with me. You know, sales were down and half the workforce got let go. Um, or I was, um, I was a professor, which is supposed to be for a five-year grant at University of Central Florida. Well, I got one year because all of my funding for my, my um, grant that gave me um, the ability to serve as a full-time faculty member went away from the state level. So it's like, okay, bye, Steve. We got you for one semester. Yay. You know, so nothing that it happened to do. But one, one of my roles, um, I made a, a really, really, really dumb mistake. And, um, and you know, I won't go into to major detail. It wasn't really super serious, but it violated some company policy. And um, I remember, unfortunately, my senior executive had to separate me from the company and she's doing it in tears. She's like, I can't change this. I can't even wiggle you out. And, um, and that really shaped my perspective in a great way that, you know what, sometimes really crappy things happen to good people, but understand the concept of resiliency. And I know that's, that's something that this podcast is very much about. And, and think about, okay, so what do you do? You just got terminated from, from a job you really loved and thought it was gonna be the job for the rest of your life. Steve, what do you do now? And, and that ability to be resilient is, is something that completely shapes 
um, from those two experiences, but others as well, that really shapes how I look at, at crappy situations, look at my business. I mean, like so many people probably listening, I almost lost everything um, from a business perspective last year. Um, you know, prior to 2020, Top Dog Learning Group, despite my doctorate being in instructional technology and distance education, we didn't do a lot of distance ed. I didn't have to. So um, most of what we did was I'd send you know, either me or my top doggers would physically go to a place and teach people how to do leadership or change management stuff. Well, of course, that all went away. And, uh, you know, I lost um, six figures in the course of a week and a half in contracts. Because typically how we used to do things was I'm done selling for the year by about February. All the contracts are signed and we have three big clients and we have come some smaller ones. We're, we're booked for the year then because we have to book that much farther out because people have to get the spaces and you know tell their people and all that good stuff. That all went away last April, first week in April. And I was like, shoot, watch my language. Um, I, I just lost my business that I've had since 2008. I have no income coming in. What do I do? And like, okay, Steve, you teach resilience. You know, this is like my self-talk I'm having over coffee with me. Like, Steve, you teach resilience. What do you do? All right, number one thing, glass half full, positive view of the world. What's the good things that can come out of this? Well, you know what? I have some product development. Oh, you know what? I already have a learning management system. I have 25 years of leadership stuff that's mine on my hard drive. What can I turn into stuff that I could sell or keynote about or whatever? Yes. What can I do to keep some of my top doggers busy? I don't know, but you start to think that way. And I think those are some of the biggest lessons that resiliency, and especially that look at the things through that positive lens, even when they truly suck. Is there anything that uh, we haven't talked about that um, you feel would be valuable to, to the audience? I think as we, as we think about you know, the concepts that are, that are associated with this particular podcast and, and really you know, turning things into that, um, the excellence, if you will, from, from the not so cool stuff. Um, you know, not only just that positive view of the world um, is, is one of the, the great things as we kind of talked about, but also understanding um, you know, what, what I, I refer to is you know, the positive self-concept, meaning you know, what are you bringing to the table? What have you already gotten through before that you can leverage to get through this now again? And so that could be family, that could be your own um, drive to succeed. That could be, you know, sadly, it could be something as simple as I need cash flow. You know, whatever that looks like, you, you, and we have always gone on these ups and downs throughout our life lifeline. Matter of fact, one of my um, one of our, our online self paced programs is on being resilient in times of change. And one of the activities that people do in the self paced is what's called your lifeline. And if you think about like the highs and lows that you plot out over your, the course of your say five years or so, you know, we all have those highs and lows. I've yet to meet somebody who's like flatline, like everything's awesome, you know, like a movie kind of thing. No, it's not like that. And if it is, you're not taking enough risk, quite frankly. But think about those times when you were at that low point and you went high. What got you to that point and apply that to now or the next time that you're in that, that, um, that lower point and need to get to that higher point within the resiliency kind of wave. One thing that I address with, with quite a few different guests is PTSD. And it's through the lens of military, uh, you know, combat veterans or uh, law enforcement, uh, fire rescue. It, there is a stigma in, in these um, occupations 
surrounding coming forward and saying that I need help. But one thing that, you know, I, I've talked with uh, a mental health professional in the past that is pretty active in the gay community. Uh, one of the things that went down and it's, you know, known around the world is the, the Pulse Massacre. And there are so many members of the gay community that um, are suffering silently because, mm -hmm. well, maybe they're not out yet. Yeah. And maybe their family didn't know they were there that night or, you know, it, mm -hmm. and I'm just wondering um, in your experience, well, I mean, you, you talked a little bit about the gay bashing. <laughs> I would imagine that there is quite a few that, yeah, that's gotta be horrific, you know? And, and I would imagine that you've experienced some post-traumatic stress from that incident. Uh, yeah, I, I would, I mean, at the time, I don't think I would have known that was, that's what it was. Um, I remember going into um, seeing someone, uh, you know, a counselor for a while uh, because of it, you know, and, and um, you know, I, I, and I would never equate this experience or, or my feelings like someone in a first responder situation or military or something. But even now, I'm heightened aware, very, very aware of when I go into a, a gay space, um, even five years later. And not that I've been going out in the last year, um, but uh, you know, I actually, we were, we were talking about going to Pulse that night. Um, now I am a little bit older than um, those folks, and but we were at a birthday party down at um, downtown Disney where apparently the jerk also was, uh, or it's Disney Springs now. And then um, we were at celebrating a friend's birthday and um, he, they had rented a limo. And so we drove down there. We all like, kind of live in the downtown area, which is where Pulse is, was. Um, and we were in the limo driving back and we're like, we should go dancing. Yeah, let's go to Pulse. And then I'm like, I got an early flight the next morning. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I guess we're a little old, forget it. And we didn't go. And so, um, and, and I, I, I knew two, two men who died in, in the tragedy. And, um, you know, it, but, the one thing that it made me realize is how, how difficult it must be for anything to trigger you. I, I found myself, you know, even, even now, I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable having this conversation. And that's okay. I, I'm okay to do that. Um, but, you know, but what is it like for somebody who's, who's been immersed in some sort of trauma? that you know anything will trigger them off and i think if there's if there's you know i talk about silver linings i talk about you know glass half full positivity which is how i try to live my life and if i think about what came out of that experience i i have just a little tiny taste of empathy for you know when people set off fireworks in my neighborhood i now think about my, our veteran neighbors and people who have lived through things like shootings and think like you know what that's not cool. You know, let's have some empathy for those who, who maybe are experiencing the world through a different lens and, and try to see it from that perspective. And, and I think um, that and um, really trying to be there for people who are in that space, who aren't feeling safe. And, and you know, often in my leadership programs, um, we talk about creating a sense of belonging. So when you, when you think about the concepts of diversity and inclusion, um, diversity is, is the differences and similarities of people. 
inclusion is is inviting people to be part of you know the workplace or whatever what's being what's better and what people are moving to is creating a sense of belonging and that's where um i now as the individual not the workplace or, or the organization i as the individual feel that i belong that i'm respected and my authentic self is valued and appreciated and i think if we if we approach things through that lens um, whether it be a veteran, someone with PS, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, a queer person, person of color, whatever. If we approach it where, how can I make you feel safe and, and included and that you belong here, then as a leader, I'm doing my job. That term belonging, I, I didn't know it. Uh, I, I've never used that, um, that terminology when I'm talking about it. I always uh, stressed to the people that I, I taught leadership to is that it's about making the people that you're working with feel as though they're all part of this family. Yep. Um, that, you know, we all have jerks in our family. We all have, <laughs> we, you know, weird people in our family, but we accept them and we love them and all of their different traits. Mm -hmm. And we can see the value in what they bring to our family and that is what I think, you know, when you talk about a team at a firehouse or, you know, a team that's out in combat together, there's so many different personalities and so many different backgrounds and everybody has those special skills and tools that they've developed from whatever their background is. Mm -hmm. And until you get to know them, you don't really truly know their value. Yeah. Um, and so creating that family environment so that they do feel safe in sharing so that then you can learn how valuable they are. Yep. It's not the other way around where they need to show you how they're valuable. So you include them. Yep. Totally true. So. And thank you for uh, for sharing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really, really do appreciate you you talking with me. Sure. And and being uncomfortable. <laughs> that's how we. That's how we grow. For those listening that want to get in in touch with you, uh, what what's the easiest way? Uh, the the best place is the topdoglearning.biz. B I Z. Um, all one word. That's our main website. Um, there you can find ways to get a hold of me. You can see my teammates. Uh, there's some self-paced classes. There's actually even a freebie um, out under the courses on um, uh, how to mitigate uh, silent collusion, which we talked about earlier. The six strategies to do that. It's a free little, alert. we call them learning tapas in my, my world, little bite-sized learning nuggets. Um, and then there's, there's a bunch of blog stuff out there, podcasts, articles, um, all sorts of cool things uh, that you can find on the topdoglearning.biz website. And if somebody wanted to book you as a keynote, same, same website. Yep. yep. Same website. You'll see one of the places um, there to either book, uh, just reach out to me or my, my you know, team um, or to even get on my calendar right there to have a chat. And pride leadership can be bought on Amazon, probably barnesandnoble.com and all that. Yep, all those places. You can actually go to topdoglearning.biz and you'll see books at the top. And I, you know, there's actually free chapters, uh, both um, of the PDF as well as the audiobook, which I did myself, which was just a really interesting experience. I, I can tell you that at some point. Um, 
I, I was going to hire somebody else to do it, but I'm like, I have a chapter on authenticity. That's pretty crappy if I don't do my own darn book. So I, I did it. <laughs> Side note, I did it at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and I had to do it in the quietest place in my house, which oddly enough is our closet. So I read my gay leadership book in the closet, which I just think is pretty awesome. Uh, so, uh, but there's a free chapter out there. You can hear me do my own bad dad jokes. Um, and like I said, uh, it's not just for queer folks. Um, actually, we have a lot of allies who are reading the book, who are listening to the book, who are in the uh, eight-week Lions program, which is based on the book, um, who get it too. And so, um, yes, I talk about it through the queer lens, but it doesn't have to be. Um, my bad dad jokes will appeal to everybody uh, if you like bad dad jokes. So there's that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, man, I really appreciate it. And this has been uh, a pleasure having you on. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you, David. Thanks for the work that you do as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, Please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.